Elisa, mm. you have Christmas Changes Everything. I'm very interested in this book because it's close to the holidays and I love Christmas and such. But also, each character in the Christmas story has had divine encounters of their own. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us about some of those? Yeah, I, I actually call them the nine. You know, when you look in the Bible, in the Gospels specifically, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, you look in there and you'll find nine people who had an encounter with Jesus. And, and it's the, actually in the first Christmas, if you will. You know, we, we named Christmas Christ Mass after the Mass that happens about Christ. <laughs> and we kind of arbitrarily set the date of Christmas as being his birthday. But anywho, when you read about the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus in Scripture, you run across nine people. And each one of them had a stunning, shocking, bizarre, life-changing experience mm -hmm. in their encounter with a baby <laughs> a <Right>. baby <laughs> which is a miracle in itself it is but, a miracle right. the first one that we think of is uh, mary of course his mother she's probably the best known woman in the history of our planet you know mary mm -hmm. the mother of jesus it's a real real person and i think it's mainly the gospel of luke who tells us um, about her encounter but she was a very young girl, probably age 12 or so, right at puberty in New Testament times. She was a virgin and betrothed, and betrothal was the first part of the whole marriage relationship. A bride and groom would be betrothed for a year, live apart, not consummate their marriage. Then after a year, they would have a ceremony, and after the ceremony, they would live together and consummate their marriage. So this is in the early part of this whole process. And Could Mary you imagine 12 year old girls in our yeah. nativity scenes yeah. at church? It would be scandalous. It would be. And it, it, it is in our minds, you know, in our culture today, it's shocking. But in terms of the economic times and the traditional times, the cultural times of New Testament times, it was necessary. Joseph was probably around 18. And uh, Mary was from an agrarian society, peasant kind of lifestyle. But anywho, she's just doing her life when, no kidding, the way Luke describes it, and this blows my mind, most scholars think that Luke was actually taking his words that he wrote down in the gospel from Mary's version of the story, that Mary was his source. She lived long after Jesus lived, and Luke was a historian who wrote down the story of Jesus in his gospel. So anyway, she's the one who told him what happened. So she's minding her business, and boom, an angel appears to her, calls her most favored one, says, you're going to conceive a baby by the Holy Spirit. And Mary is, I love, when you look, read this in Luke um, chapter 1, you're going to see she responds, how can this be since I'm a virgin? There's not a, an ounce of doubt in that question. It's wonder and curiosity. How in the world? Yeah, not if it's going to happen. How is this going to happen? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, not if this can happen. How is it going to happen? That's How's it going to happen? Mm -hmm. And the angel says, you know, it's God's going to overshadow you. And that word overshadow is the same word that's used of the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus was transfigured into his heavenly reality. So talk about divine encounters. I mean, these are yeah. crazy ones. Yeah. And uh, a little side note for people. I was an adult till I realized what Ave Maria meant. As beautiful Tell as me. a song as it was, but it's greetings, Mary, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. 
Oh, what? Yeah, that's, that's all I know. Ave Maria, uh, greetings, Mary, the words yeah. of uh, Gabriel to Mary. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? So much of our culture today has, you know, these nine characters just woven into it, and we don't even notice. <laughs> we don't yeah. even notice. Um, anyway, then you go to Joseph, who was her counterpart, and he thinks when the angel appears to him, another divine encounter, he thinks, oh my goodness, my bride-to-be has been unfaithful because he knows he hasn't had sex with her. And in both these situations, the angel... Let's use the word consummate, shall we? Okay, consummate. <laughs> I'm joking, I don't care. <laughs> you have children. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> so in both these situations, the angel is informing them as to how this is going to happen. But before the angel does that, Gabriel does that, he comforts them, don't be afraid. Because our bottom line response to the divine is a kind of a holy terror. We experience God as so other than us. And so if we're going to see an angel, we're afraid. And if you're afraid, you can't really hear anything that's being communicated. So the angel communicates to both of them, don't be afraid. And then he unpacks what's going to happen to Joseph. And, you know, Christmas changed Mary from being a, a stunned virgin into being the mother of God. And it changed Joseph from being a kind of devastated groom, thinking his bride-to-be was unfaithful into being the stepfather of Jesus. Right. We can go on from there, but that's just the first two of the nine. Yeah. Uh, can I randomly pick some? Sure. Yeah. You know who I've always been interested Well. Not that I'm not interested in one of them, but is uh, there's always got to be a perfectly wonderful bad guy. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Uh, you know, in history, you know, these are historical figures. I don't know if people realize that. They're, they're not just mythological nativities. This came from somewhere and even outside Scripture. Yes. And outside of Scripture, Herod is known as Herod the Great yeah. from his great buildings which is mm -hmm. how you left your legacy, you know. You did a lot, reading. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he was very ambitious. Uh, his He had no moral code and whatever, but that guy fascinates me. Mm -hmm. um, nobody I'd want to model after, but what can you say about how does he fit in, Mr. Yeah. kind of like bad guy, into a divine encounter? Yeah, it's surprising that I include Herod in the list, but he is one who had a divine revelation, if you will, an encounter and he's the kind of person who he actually couldn't make room for the divine because he thought he was divine does that make mm -hmm. sense yeah um, he, he heard that the magi or the we call them the wise men but they were they were those who sought after celestial insight um, they were wise they were astrologers some thought um, they studied the heavens and they had seen the star, a literal star, and we just saw the Christmas star a few years ago on in North America. We were floored by the coming together of these celestial lights, and they saw a star that was a, another divine moment. And they traveled to it, and, and Herod heard about them and had them intercepted. And he asked them, he pretended like he too wanted to find the Christ child, the one who would be king of the Jews, is what the, the Messiah was to be. And he, he wanted them to go find him and come back and tell him about it. But the reality is that Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. He, he um, touted himself that way, but he couldn't have been. He didn't come from the prophesied cities. Um, he wasn't a, a, a follower of the law of Judaism. He, honestly, and this is kind of 
shocking can he he was deranged he really was he killed his wife he killed many other people in his family and so the wise Even his men, own son that he drowned his own son yes and and yeah. it's tragic to hear um to really research who he was but he was so threatened by the possibility of a baby being born and then growing up to take over what herod saw as his kingship that when the wise men, the Magi, refused to go back through um, Jerusalem where he was, he he just then decided he would kill all of the newborn male babies under the age of two to make sure that he handled it. And, and Joseph and Mary were warned in a dream by the divine again, by God, and fled to Egypt. Um, Actually, history tells us that Herod probably killed about 20 boys, which doesn't sound like a lot until you think about 20 babies and one is a lot. So uh, it's awful. And, and then he himself, because he refused to learn, it, it's stunning the way he died. He, he died himself. He took ill and he was his body was eaten with worms is what Luke tells us. It's very graphic and very mm -hmm. horrific. Um, but the lesson, the takeaway, for me is God prevents a lot, provides a lot of opportunities for me to learn every year, every Christmas and every day of the year that's not Christmas. And, you know, his encounters are not to punish me, not to rub my nose in my mistakes, but to woo me toward his love. I have day after day to learn how to receive that love, to learn how to let God's love be my motivation in life, to learn how to embrace his gift of Jesus that he gave so that I can embrace his love. And Herod, bless his heart, couldn't do it. And I yeah. look at that example and I think, well, that's what happens when you refuse the gift of love. Um, you do. And I don't want to be like that. No, and he had the potential to be uh, Herod the Great, I think. And I mean, he believed enough, which most people in antiquity did. They believed in uh, the star movements and the spiritual mm -hmm. world and this and that. Right? To right. have believed the Magi, which comes from the word magician, or vice versa, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And two, that there, there was, if he just dismissed it altogether, and it's all nonsense, he wouldn't be killing babies over it. Exactly. But he believed something enough that this child has to be killed uh, so I can be king of the Jews. But then you know you're struggling against God's plan. And ultimately, you know, what for? You're going to die, whether it's horrifically like him, at some point anyway. But what if you just gave in and, you know, the best leaders are followers. If you could have followed the lead of God, mm -hmm. how great he could have been. Maybe how long he could have lived and he would have been Herod the Great other than just like some aqueducts and mansions and swimming yeah. pools or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Which mean nothing. A different legacy for sure. And I think, you know, it's a natural thing for humans to fear the divine. Mm -hmm. And when we fear the divine um, in an unhealthy way, that the divine's out to get us, that the, the divine is going to strip from us what we depend upon, you know, when we go kind of wacky that way, we go towards the dark. And yeah. the dark is powerful as well. And it kind of looks like that overtook Herod in a way that he couldn't find his way back from. Um, but I'm, I'm so comforted because in almost every single interaction that we see with these nine who had a divine encounter with the first Christmas, the first, the first message that they're given is don't be afraid. 
So if you're having an encounter with the divine, the real divine, God divine, that's going to be his message to you is don't be afraid. I am for good. I am for your good. I am for the good of all people. I am love. I give my son as a sacrifice for you so that you can be freed from what is bad and what is wrong and what is corrupt in our world. I'm the way out of it. This one, I don't know if it's saving the best to last, but I don't want to say it's obvious. You don't want to assume too much, but what about the baby? <laughs> That's actually number 10, right? <laughs> number 10 is us. <laughs> I oh, think. okay, right. right Our right. divine encounter. I mean, the baby is Jesus. And, you know, it's impossible for us to understand how well, we in Christianity, we celebrate what we call a triune God. Scripture never uses the word Trinity, but it does talk about God the Father, the Creator, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the, the one who guides us and leads us. So when we think about the entity of God, all of God, squishing himself <laughs> into a baby in a woman's womb, and then being born and having the hands of a, of a human and the feet of a human and the body of a human and the emotions of a human and the temptations of a human, etc., and yet still being God, we just, our minds just, <clears throat> you cannot yeah. comprehend. I'm helped by what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippian church in the first century, where he talks about Jesus laying aside his godly attributes and taking the humble form of a man. That helps me a little bit. It's like he held back, you know, he's performed miracles. He was transfigured. Uh, he did die and then rise from the dead and ascended into heaven. But in his earthly ministry, in his coming to earth and being born as a baby, what a humble act. What a, a way of connecting with us. You know, it, most of us, you know, when we become parents and we look at the Christmas story and we look at Mary and Joseph, we're just, our jaws drop to the floor going, how could you carry the Son of God in your womb? How could you step-parent the Son of God? We're blown away in a whole different way. That encounter with any baby, and then you think about Jesus, the baby, and then yeah. Jesus, the child, and Jesus, the teenager, and Jesus, the young man. Well, it's a lot to take in and comprehend. And yet God wanted us to know that he identified with us so closely that he truly does understand who we are and what we go through and what our need is for help. Yeah, I was 27 uh, when I had my first child. And I was terrified thinking, I'm not going to know how to hold it properly, keep his head <laughs> support. I'm not going to know how to bathe this thing. Yeah. And I was yeah. a full grown man. I can't imagine being 12 years old and then oh. learning who's coming. Oh. And um, I, I just can't imagine. And yet, can you think too about Gabriel himself, this angel, this messenger from God is the one who told Mary that. And he says the whole Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And Mary was a devout follower of God. I just think, you know, she probably looked back over and over at that divine encounter and thought, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You know, just as he helped me have this baby come inside me, he also helped me birth this baby, and he's going to help me feed this baby, and he's going to help me grow this baby up. Yeah. And for anyone listening, that uh, this is a question to you. 
there's people listening that, well, that you know that's interesting and they're learning more about the characters and the nativity and such uh, in their divine encounters and how God worked back thousands of years ago. Uh, you can they may believe it or not. Uh, it's easier to believe something from thousands of years ago. It always seems more true for some reason. <laughs> and um, but how does it relate to our lives? today leaning towards all of this of those divine encounters were really for us after it wasn't just for a pretty nativity scene yeah you know ken i i um i live in a broken world and you do too you know it's broken by all kinds of stuff i grew up in a broken family through divorce and addiction and a bunch of other stuff and i as i had kids i realized yep they're broken too you know we're all we're in need. We have struggles. We uh, live in a world that's confusing and fights with each other. And it's like we just choose away from what's healthy so much of the time. And, you know, it, when you read the story of Scripture from the beginning to the end, you'll see that, you know, pretty much after God created the first family, it fell and broke and chose against what was healthy. And, you know, Christians call that sin, but it's, you know, it's choosing against what's healthy and what's good for us all. And, you know, way back then, God began to put a plan in place to give us a way out so that it's not just death we have to look forward to, but we can look forward to being in a relationship with help all through our lives and then living beyond the grave. And, and that's what I think the real message of Christmas is about. You know, for me, Christmas became Christmas. I really understood a baby born when Easter became Easter, when I understood that that baby grew up and died on a cross and then was raised again, something no other religion celebrates, no other religion does. And that he sits at the right hand of our God. He provides daily wisdom. We can all have divine encounters with him 24-7. We can. That's the kind of God he is. And so for me, Christmas changes everything when I invite the real Jesus who is living right now and his spirit to live inside me. When I welcome him in to live inside me and I make my home in him, I don't have to do life alone and I don't have to give up and give over to the brokenness around me. I can have peace and I can have hope and I can make sense of what doesn't make sense as I hold it loosely, as my Father, God, holds it with me. So your book ends with um, an afterword, Christmas isn't over. What's that mean? <laughs> you know, we don't have to put Christmas back in the box. We do. You know, we pack it up and push it up to the attic or down to the basement or in the storage closet or in the garage or wherever we keep it. But the real meaning of Christmas is the hope that Jesus gives us every day. And we don't have to do anything but just celebrate that every day. Christmas is every day. Oh, no.